Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hey. Dave. What's up? Tori. Hello, Internet. And very special guest from the Legendarium podcast, Craig Hanks. Uh, hi. I, I I feel like I need something better than another Craig. I, I wish I was named something different. I, I apologize. Maybe something like Le Craig. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to have to explain the joke. Yeah, it's an in-joke. It doesn't work. Just... Anyway, no, you have to make it work. Just force it. People will accept. Anyway, because this other Craig is from the Legendarium podcast, which starts with an L. We have decided to call him Le Tape Craig leg. for the duration of this recording. <laughs> See, there, yeah. done. It works. Okay. Anyway, as long as Le Craig is okay, all of this editing out every single second of this. You say it, but I don't think you mean it. You should leave in the part where you say you're editing it out so that there's no context on why you had to edit something out. (laughs) All right. uh, We normally start with good thing. uh, But before we do that, I have a bit of an announcement. I have launched our Patreon. Uh, You can find that at patreon.com slash CosmereCast. So if you like what you hear, go throw some money at us. And now good thing. Craig, what's up? I mean, that's pretty good, I have to say. It is a start of a good thing. Um, so this this one will only apply basically to me, but my wife did a 5K run yesterday. Wow. An official, like, you know, event. She's been training for, like, the past month. I know, I know 5K is not much, but it's a start. And I think what? eventually no, that's super awesome. That's, that's great. great. When did you start she, CrossFit? Like a year ago? That's yes. actually really nice. Yeah. It was actually from one of the coaches there that got her into to doing a run. So I think she's gonna do another five K. Uh I think it's like some mid May. It's it's in a month. Um but you don't know, build up to ten K, fifteen K, we'll have to see where where she goes. But you know, she completed it. Wasn't like wasn't even hard either. Didn't really break a sweat. So the training has paid true. off. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it was in the morning. But sweat, dude. <laughs> I think the, the hardest thing of the five k was that it started at seven a.m. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys are anyway, to five. So that I think is pretty good. I can't get up at seven a.m. because I wait tables, and I never wake up before noon unless I have to. Yep, I hear that. All right, so Dave, your good thing is not waking up until noon unless you have to. <laughs> That's pretty good. That is uh, Can my good thing be Lara Shigehara again? She's just so good. Your good like, thing was, can be whatever you want it to be, my dude. I even, gosh, even in uh, Zombies on Your Lawn, like her voice <laughs> is just so beautiful. It, it's such a silly song, but her voice is so beautiful. It still moves me to tears. Uh, I mean, but, since one of my good things was go to the toilet, yeah, I think you're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that was my good thing last week. Uh, I guess I'll just drop in a video game, an indie game that you can find 
on platforms. It's called Celeste. It's about a Canadian girl that climbs a literal and figurative mountain. That is more than I knew about the game before. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's one of those tricky platforming games, kind of like if Super Meat Boy had good controls. Uh, it would be like that. But <laughs> it's you know, it's not you know, Super Meat Boy obviously has the shock value theme going on with all the blood and graphics and everything, but this is less violent in the graphics not really violent at all but it's it's more of a uh more of a mental it's more mentally deep than you would expect it to be and oh. it's really the storyline is really emotional it's really great and the soundtrack is awesome too uh the soundtrack written by lena rain not sure if she's worked on any other major projects but uh fantastic soundtrack as well you know super meat boy <clears throat> like I, I couldn't really get into it too much like the gameplay is neat, but like you said, the whole shock value, like, I didn't really, I don't like that sort of thing. It's the same reason I won't play uh, Finding, Finding of Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. But so figured you were going. it's based on a genre of games. I think it's like, what was it, like Jumper or something like that? Because there, there's a game with a very similar style as like Super Meat Boy and Celeste, where you're going through, it's all about surviving through levels, but you're just a block, like you're just a square trying to make it through. Just a square trying really to make it through a cool kid's world. And I also played N, like that was also a classic game that is somewhat similar with, with the ninja type game. That was a lot of fun. So, yeah, there's there's something to be said about that genre of games. And I think Celeste does a really great job. I have not played it yet, though. I need to only watch TGH speed run it. Basically, yes. <laughs> Didn't even watch me play it when I streamed it. Wait, I mean, I, I think I, I have the same experience uh, as Craig here, including not <laughs> having watched Dave play it. No, I'm pretty sure. I remember you trying to get this one thing on the side of a mountain. You're like, how do I get up there? And eventually figured out how to jump to get it. I was watching you play a little bit. That sounds like Celeste. <laughs> how do I make this jump? Yes. I haven't even done any of the B-sides. I'm trying to find all the all the acorns. And I think I got all the jams. I need to find more strawberries. Acorns? Strawberries and heart thingies. They're all Mario frogs. Basically, all Mario guys are frogs. No, wait, how's that go? All frogs <laughs> are Mario guys, but not oh. all Mario guys are frogs. <laughs> all right, I, I think we're done here. Tori, what's your good thing? Uh, I have started learning to draw, and I'm very excited about it. Ooh. Yeah, oh. I have been I've been doing doodles in the margins of notebooks forever, and uh, at work I do the occasional art thing uh like i do a lot of motivational art on the whiteboard in our workroom and usually i just copy pictures from other sources like dr seuss and things like that uh and every time someone says oh tori that's really good i always say yeah well i i copied it out of a book anybody could have mm. done that i didn't actually i didn't actually do that myself but recently come to my attention that not everybody can do that so I decided to actually learn to draw, like take some lessons. And uh, I got one of those little figure drawing models, you know, the the wooden people that is posable. And uh, I named him Bob after Bob Ross. Oh. Yeah. And he, so he's kind of chilling on my mantle right now. And anyway, so, yeah, I got a sketchbook and I got some colored pencils. And I'm very excited about this new chapter of my life. I don't think like doing cool. Doing really good copies is also very impressive. Like that's 
it's a great way to hone your skill anyway. And just, just being able to pull it off, like that's something to be proud about. You know, I have a similar experience, Tori. I, I do the same thing. Usually it's not, uh, Seuss characters. It usually turns out to be like Western animation characters. And I just copy pictures and I draw them. People are like, Oh, that's good. I'm like, well, yeah, it, it was, it was really good design by the person that designed it. What did I do? Uh, so maybe I could look into that. Anytime I draw something that I try to pull out of my brain, it just comes out as a glorified stick figure, which you guys, uh, will actually see later in this podcast. Right. I, <laughs> there will be an unveiling later on. Yeah, that's, that's the same <laughs> with me. Like I, I try to pull the picture out of my brain and it, it doesn't. Um, but I can, yeah. I can see the, like the, the videos I've been watching and the stuff I found online. Nice. All right. Um, so I realized after the fact that I screwed up the order on this and I should have gone before Tori. Uh, so I'll go now. My good thing this week is the Toadies. Uh, they are a band from Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, you have probably heard a couple of their songs. They got some pretty heavy, um, radio play in the, I want to say like the mid nineties. Um, the album Rubberneck was, uh, kind of a big deal at the time. Um, they're, I, I really enjoy their music. Um, there's this, there's like a live acoustic version of, uh, my favorite song by the Toadies, which is Dollskin, which is off their second studio album, um, Hell Below, Stars Above. And it is one of the most beautiful songs that I've ever heard. The acoustic version is like, just Perfect. It is absolutely perfect. It's it's such a gorgeous song. I love it so much. Toadies. Uh, so, Craig Hanks, do you have a good thing for us this week? Sure. Uh, I think my good thing for this week is that I was finally able to buckle down and uh, put some caulking down on the floorboard or the baseboards of our studio here. So we should be spider-free this summer. Fingers crossed. All right. Spider-free. Spider-free. <laughs> Spider-free is definitely a good thing. We uh, we were able, thanks to our patrons, we were able to build a, a podcast studio here. And last summer, it was um, wow, nice. It was a, it was a, uh, well, it was a home for spiders. Basically, you know, it's like a like an old spider's home out and eventually die. Uh, but you know, I, I wanted to convert it from that. So I I partly bring that up just to encourage uh, people who listen to you guys to you know get on the patron thing for you guys too because it's it, it's quite helpful i mean, i just have this image of an old spider's home like spiders in rocking chairs with a little blanket and <laughs> like watching an old black and white tv with the bunny ears pretty close um but yeah i i actually i've been following the the legendarium for long enough that like i have seen the the like the beginnings to what it currently is of the of your recording studio and like it's an incredible amount of progress like it looks amazing now it's uh you know it is nice it's not only a recording studio but it's also just a place for me to come out and uh kick around in the evenings and so i so i tried to make it pretty comfortable for myself and your poor shelf of time is one like has one book too many for the shelf for the shelf size oh <laughs> so yeah, I have I have a ton of bookshelves in here, obviously, and uh, and it fits fourteen volumes of the Wheel of Time, and it's just fitting New Spring as well. So 
it's a, it was a sad day when I learned that, but you know what? You just, you just roll with it. All right. Uh, before we roll get into, the wheel of time. before we get into hey. Dave telling us what happened in this book, um, Craig Hanks, why don't you, just in case someone ever listens to this that doesn't already know the legendarium, why don't you give us a short, like what, what, what do you do? What is your thing? Sure, yeah. I, I hope people will join the uh, the tens of people who love the Legendarium podcast. What we do is uh, is we read fantasy and science fiction books, but from more of a we tend to go with more of a thirty thousand foot view. As you know, you guys are down in the trenches, getting into uh, you know the deep dive, and uh, so when we read something like uh, Well of Ascension, we'll give it two episodes. I don't know how many you guys have done for the Well of Ascension. How many? That's a very good question. Um, Tori? I can tell you this. The second episode of Well of Ascension was released today. Oh, 17 okay. episodes for Well of Ascension. Around, we recorded that around Christmas time. Yowza. So, yeah, lots of, uh, lots of episodes. Anyway, so, yeah, we read a ton of different series. Uh, obviously, we've done all the Mistborn stuff and the Wheel of Time and Lord of the Rings and the Belgariad and Shannara and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, if anybody wants to dip wow, a that toe into that stuff, that's where we go. Well, like one of the first fantasy uh, series I read was David Edding's stuff. There you go. Yeah, that was uh, my co-host's first, so... We wanted to get to it. Yeah, the the idea for us is um, give people who are new to a series or a book, uh, we want to give them kind of a companion book club type of feel uh, to kind of help them on their journey. You know, if you want to read The Lord of the Rings, you kind of read it along with us. Or if it's somebody, you know, like with The Wheel of Time, somebody who's read it 10 times already, they can listen to our podcast. And it's uh, we always have somebody reading who's reading it for the first time. Uh, so we kind of, you know, keep that fresh perspective and it can be fun to kind of relive your first time, so to speak. So anyway, that's what we do. All right. Thanks, uh, Dave. I I gave you a challenge last book overview episode uh, that I did not give you prep time for. So it kind of went very, very long. But let's see if you can knock it out this time. Two <laughs> minutes or less. The Well of Ascension. Go. Okay, well, it only took me an hour to write it. Hopefully, it won't take nearly that long to, to read it. Already wasted 15 seconds, no! <laughs> Alright, starting now. One year has passed since our heroes have slain the Lord Ruler and put an end to the final empire. With the absence of any kind of government, the wealthiest and most powerful rise up to become kings throughout the land of Skadriel. Due to rumors regarding the Lord Ruler's stash of Atium, the world's most rare and powerful metal, Several of the new kings wished to march on Luthadel, and King Ellen Venture, including his father, King Straff Venture, marching toward his door, and King Ashweather Set of the West, who sends Alamancer assassins to kill Ellen. Ellen's girlfriend and bodyguard, Vin, who happens to be the most powerful Alamancer in the world and the one who personally delivered the death blow to Lord Ruler, successfully fends off the assassins, thanks to an anonymous Mistborn who assists from the shadows. In the process, however, she uses the last of our hero's atom supply. And the body of her conjurer servant, or sir, is badly damaged. Ellen, unlike the kings of the other dominances, has established a parliamentary government. Being one to play by his own rules, Ellen must convince his assembly not to surrender the city to his father. In the meantime, Vin is experimenting with new alimantic metals, hoping to find an edge despite her lack of atium. Vin also finds a new body for her servant to absorb, the body of a large, vicious wolfhound. 
While testing the abilities of Rakanja's new body, Vin discovers a mysterious spirit formed by the mist. As she approaches the spirit, it vanishes, and a strange force grabs her arm, nearly causing her to fall to the ground. Vin also has another encounter with the anonymous Mistborn, during which she discovers that Duralumin, her experimental metal, can greatly enhance her other elementic abilities. In her confusion, however, the man disappears into the night. Ellen, having successfully convinced the Assembly not to surrender before he can meet with Straff, awaits word to arrange the encounter. While waiting, scouts discover a second army approaching Luthadel. Apparently, Ellen's friend Breeze used his power of persuasion to convince King Set to overthrow Luthadel and search for the hidden ATM. With three great forces now in conflict, underdog Ellen has the upper hand in negotiation. Breeze, no longer on good terms with King Set, returns to Luthadel and explains that advantage that he brought to King Ellen. As the crew retire, Captain Demo of Ellen's Guard reports that two skeletons were found in Vin's chambers. One skeleton, they realized, belonged to Orsor before he discarded it. But whence came the other? There is an enemy Chondra spy in the palace. Of course, not all of the excitement is happening in Luthadel, as the crew's terraceman Francesed, who has mysterious powers of his own, is abroad teaching former slaves about religion and agriculture. He discovers that the mists have grown violent and began killing people. In his travels, he also encounters an old friend, Marsh, brother of the former, now deceased, Kelsier, both of whom had played vital roles in overthrowing the Lord Ruler. Marsh had become a steel inquisitor, infiltrating the highest level of the Lord Ruler's church, in the process gaining superhuman, allomantic abilities and vitality. Marsh, knowing that the remaining inquisitors had vacated their headquarters, convinces Seiza to help him infiltrate the Conventicle of Saren. While there, Seiza discovers a thousand-year-old steel etching, chronicling the motives of the Lord Ruler's uncle, and explaining why he did not believe in the hero of Terrace legend. Marsh, unsuccessful in his enigmatic quest, urges Seized to leave with him, but not before Seized transcribes the etching onto paper. While traveling away from the conventicle, Marsh disappears in the middle of the night, causing Seized to continue to Luthadel alone. As Seized returning to Luthadel, an old friend of his, Tindwell, arrives in the city to tutor King Ellen in the ways of dress, manner, and swordsmanship. Ellen takes to the lessons well, becoming the king that he always knew he should be inside. After a time, he and Vin meet with King Strath's messenger, Zane, the very Mistborn that Vane, Vin had been sparring with at night. They arrange a meeting, Strath wishing to convince his son to surrender, Ellen wishing to intimidate his father into leaving Luthadel alone. In the ensuing weeks, Vin studies a logbook written by the former Hero of Ages, whose life was tragically ended before he could complete his mission to the Well of Ascension. Could this misspirit she saw be the same one mentioned in the logbook? Could the thumping in the night be related to the Well of Ascension that this hero had sought? Vin also develops a friendship with her Chondra wolfhound. They had been, they had both been oppressed in the past, and they share several moments of bonding. During these moments, Vin learns much about Chondra abilities, culture, and religion. The Chondra, apparently, is even growing a fondness for Vin, something which had been lacking in the entire time he's been in her service. At last, Seized returns to Luthadel and reports that an army of Kolos is approaching to invade Luthadel. The Kolos, a race of blue giants with subhuman intelligence and superhuman ferocity, are being led by King Justus Lacal, a former friend and political ally of King Ellen. With three major obstacles on the horizon, Ellen and Vin venture out to handle the first, that of Ellen's father, King Strath. During their meeting, Ellen and Vin instill fear in the heart of King Strath. King Strath will not attack Luthadel as long as Vin, the most powerful Mistborn slayer of the world's former god, remains in the city. As Strath and Ellen speak in private, Zane begins poisoning Vin's mind toward Ellen and the service of her loved ones. Finn doesn't respond to Zane's corruption immediately, but she begins feeling uneasy toward her bow as they return to Luthadel. When they return, Ellen is feeling elated, having stalled one major force at his doorstep. Nothing can go wrong.
That is, until he finds that his assembly deposed him in his absence. Nominations are held for the next regal election. Ellen denominates the Honorable Lord Penrod, who in turn nominates Ellen. Merchant Assemblyman Phylon surprisingly nominates King Ashweather Set, who had been hiding amongst the crowd. A week later, they hold the election, but it's interrupted when a band of assassins tries to kill Ellen. Finn recognizes one of the assassins from Set's company, but she doesn't know that Zane had planted him in order to frame the Western King. When the dust settles, Aaron rushes to Lord Penrod's house, where they are holding the election. Penrod himself wins the election, and the next day arranges to turn the city over to King Straff. That evening, Zane convinces Vin to attack King Set's outpost and gives her a bead of atium beforehand. However, because Set did not have any allomancers in his employ, Vin does not need to use the atium to reach his inner chambers. After learning the truth that Set did not send assassins to the election, Vin spares his life and allows him to leave Luthadel. After returning home, Vin regurgitates the atium and gives it to Orsur for safekeeping. The following evening, Zane once again visits Vin, who is confused about the assassination attempt, as well as her own feelings regarding Elend and Zane. Vin begins to leave with Zane, but immediately regrets her decision and tells him so. Spurned, Zane attacks Vin with murderous intent. Vin calls the wolfhound to bring her ATM, but as it turns out, the wolfhound had not been Orsir all along. Ten soon, Zane's Chandra had killed Orsir and absorbed the wolfhound's body. Ten Soon, bound by his contract with Zane, is unable to help Vin directly. Subtly, gives her a hint that allows her to take control of his body. She slices open his shoulder and retrieves the ATM. So she thought. Zane had actually given her a lead bead with a thin coating of ATM. Things look grim for our heroine, but she is somehow able to outmaneuver Zane, and against all odds, she slays her foe. As Zane lies dying, his longtime companion, a voice in his head, mocks him in his final moment. Heart still rushing from the fight. Vin returns to her man, Ellen Venture, and finally answers his prior marriage proposal, and they are wed on the spot. After performing the ceremonies, Sazed convinces the two of them to travel north and seek the Well of Ascension. Kolas army imminently knocking down the walls of Luthadel, Vin and Ellen leave certain doom behind in a last-ditch effort to find the Well and save the world. They also run into a desperate, armorless Justice Lacal, whom Ellen executes for his crimes. All is not as it seems, however, for the thumping of the Well grows more faint each day. Well of Ascension has been in Luthadel all along. Vin returns to the city and decimates the Colas army, but not before many of her friends and countrymen had fallen in the battle. Some of Vin's alimantic metal reserves are out, and all she can do is use emotional alimancy to somehow deter the Colas army. In desperation, she burns Duralamin and Zinc, the same combination that allowed her to control Ten Soon. It works! Vin controls the Colas army and marches them out of Luthadel directly to camp of King Strath, whom she promptly slices in twain. With all three armies quelled, Vin sets her sights on Credic Shaw, the Lord Ruler's former abode and presumed location of the Well of Ascension, so that she might release the sealed power and rid the world of the murderous mists. As she and Ellen reach the well, the mist spirit arrives and slashes Ellen in the stomach. Vin is tempted to use the well's power to save her husband, but she instead releases the force, as the millennium-old prophecies had indicated she should do. Prophecies were wrong, or rather, they had been altered. Vin releases a terrible, transcendent being, and after tending to Ellen's wounds, the two must save the world once again. I didn't have time to trim it down, I apologize. I <laughs> finished that last line five minutes before recording time. I feel like I just dumped my whole copper mine. <laughs> How long was my time? Uh, uh, about nine minutes. Not two minutes. Nine minutes? Yeah. No way. Yeah. I mean, you Started covered the entire book, man. It was it was 
I didn't have the timer going, but you just about hit nine minutes. Um, and I would like to point out or shorter. I'd, I'd like to point out so we don't get comments about it because I'm commenting about it. That's not what decimate means. No. <laughs> what did I say? Anyway, if you want, I can record it shorter and send it to you. And you can splice it in. I'm not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Dave. All right, Dave. Um, you prepped super hard for this episode, and so I'm kind of going to let you uh, take the wheel for the non-spoiler portions. This so is we'll- really Dave's episode right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys want to talk behind my back with LeCraig, but uh, all right, real quick. So first off, you wanted me to revisit the questions I had at the end of Mistborn, see what was answered and what remains and what new questions would I have arise. To say, I'm looking forward to this part. Yeah, this, okay. should, this should be pretty good. Are you anonymous dinosaur, Craig? <laughs> what? Don't um, ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Google Docs. Anyway, okay, so uh, I categorized these under answered Mistborn questions, Mistborn questions still at large, and new questions. All right, so questions we had answered. Who betrayed Kelsier? That was actually answered in Mistborn, but I kind of ignored it. It was uh, actually that the Lord Roller and or the Inquisitors could pierce his copper cloud and most likely hadn't been mayor all along. And you guys answered that in the wrap-up last episode. Is Reen still alive? Uh, likewise, the answer is in the book, but I wasn't paying attention. Nope, he killed him. The Karn, or one of Karn's on Kar. killed him. Kar? Karn is okay. the Magic the Gathering guy. Okay. Or Richard Karn <laughs> from, you know... Richard Karn. I don't think so, places. Mike. <laughs> that guy. I don't think so, guy. Uh, <laughs> where Chill? is Straff Venture? Well, he was just north of Luthadel waiting to attack the city. Are there mistings that can burn secondary metals? And I think that you answered this at some point, no, I guess. Or I don't, I don't remember. For some reason, I felt that that had been answered, and they can only burn the eight basic metals. It sounds I mean, like you it, might need to move that back down to the other. Yeah, part. well, it it you is, don't know the answer. It's reiterated that only Mistborn can burn Alamancy or can burn Atium. But I wonder if if Mistings could actually burn aluminum, because it would be really useful to. I mean, Mistings aren't as powerful as Mistborn, so maybe. It doesn't really matter if that they they can't force him to burn aluminum. Well, al- aluminum would just get rid of all of the other metals in right, the body. Right, but I want to I, I want to categorize aluminum, aluminum. I like making through aluminum. Well, okay. and then it gets rid of toxins and stuff. It's not really important, but there you go. Uh, I guess so, because if you don't want to pass them, you can just burn aluminum. Right. Okay, are Terrasmen and other races separate species? Again, you kind of just said that they are the same species. Uh, what is the deepness? And our our current uh, leaning, based on what the characters are saying, is that the deepness is some form of mist that is violent, attacks people, and is just overall bad for the world. What is the Well of Ascension? Well, it's a, apparently it's this little pool that gives somebody ultimate power for just a moment, and they can relinquish that power, uh, but they probably shouldn't, but Vin did. Whoops. Way is to go, it a Vin. perpendicularity? A word that I, word that I learned from Mike. 
And I'm going to say I don't think so. It seemed more just like didn't seem like it was connected to any other realm of existence. It just was kind of a source of power. We but definitely didn't have anybody fall into it and disintegrate. <laughs> yeah, it's, it wasn't anything like the the pool of oblivion from Elantris. We also didn't have anybody Benny Hill moment like trip and fall into it <laughs> for oh, no good boy. reason to to give you a little cliffhanger at the end of the chapter this, but it was just this book has a worse problem than that but let's talk about it really okay. Okay. yeah well about what mike and i were arguing last week and I, there are well we got we kind of talked about it last week but we'll finish up the questions first so did rachek kill the logbook author or or throw him into the well. Well, he clearly didn't throw him into the well. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't have accomplished his goals. But, uh, yeah, you kind of said that it wasn't really answered. Vin assumes that Rachel killed him. but Basically, you, you have about as much information on that as we get. Yeah. And, okay. So here's some questions that Wait, I... You want to read the last one? No, nah, I mean, how does Mist, Mistland fit in with the cosmology? It's a planet in the solar system. That was kind of a dumb question to begin with, and I wasn't going to repeat it. Okay. I don't know why I left that written. I should delete it so anonymous dinosaur doesn't comment on it. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so questions that I asked in the last wrap-up episode that I'm still looking for answers. And I have new theories on some of these. So, uh-huh. first question, why did Vin's mom try to kill her? And my current theory is that she had some sort of prophecy that was like, your daughter is going to release this ultimate evil thing. So she doesn't know which daughter. So she successfully murders Vin's sister and attempts to murder Vin. Uh, What is the significance of Vin's earring? And, oh, man. Okay. This is a big one. Um... There is one point in rereading Well of Ascension, having voice guy in mind, uh, and I there was this very strange, I think it was chapter 13 when Vin first approaches the Miss Spirit, and the sequence of events goes something like this. She's approaching the Miss Spirit, the Miss Spirit disappears, something grabs her arm, and she feels pain from her ear to her head. And what's she have in her ear? An earring. So I wonder if the thing that grabbed her arm, which I'm guessing is voice guy, because he was kind of pre- trying to prevent her from interacting with Miss Spirit. Are you sure it I wasn't a quarter? She could have had a quarter in her ear. That's what I always have whenever my grandpa comes by. <laughs> <laughs> How come you didn't feel it till he showed up? But uh, there must be some kind of connection between Vin's earring and voice guy. Like, it must somehow allow him some kind of control over her, I guess. And this is the really fascinating part about this. Up to this, by by the end of the book, we don't see Voice Guy physically interacting with the world. But we do see Miss Spirit physically interacting with the world. So I wonder if they could even be, like, different sides of the same being. Because... You know, Miss Spirit being the physical, he he cuts Ellen, he cut one of Elendi's servants, he rips pages out of the out of the copies that uh, 
that voice guy had altered. Voice guy can physically alter written things or what's stored in copper mines or speak into people's heads. So I don't know. But but in this instance, the one that had the motive for grabbing a Vin's arm would have been voice guy. And this is the only time we see him, as far as I can tell, physically interact with a person. And maybe it has something to do with Vin's earring. I don't know. That's all I got. I know it wasn't much. That, that's <laughs> quite a bit that you inferred just based on like an earring, but, but sure. it's her arm is grabbed and a pain goes from her ear to her head. I don't know. It's just it was so bizarre that it had to be significant somehow. Okay, uh, next question: How does Vin have superior power? No idea. I mean, obviously, voice guy is trying to lead her to the well so that she can release him. Uh, it's it's a tricky one though because you know we we do learn you know when she's fighting the Lord Ruler she draws power from the mists but even before that she's able to pierce copper clouds well before that and so I don't really know okay so how do secondary metals fit in with alimantic structure and I have a full section that's going to go into that and how I think that might work out and that'll be after I finish up the questions here. And then how many metals are there? Similar, similar answer. Okay. So those are things that I'm still looking for concrete answers as we read the heroine of ages. It's called a hero of ages. I wonder, I, I had mentioned this in discord. I don't think I've said it on a show, but I wonder if Ellen is actually the hero of ages because, you know, voice guy altered prophecies, but I don't think he wrote them from scratch. So there has to be some kind of prophecy regarding a hero of ages. For some reason, I think. Okay, so new questions regarding Well of Ascension. Uh, first, a couple of rewind questions that actually I didn't think to ask in Mistborn. One, how did Kelsier find out about Malatium? And two, where did Mare get that picture of a flower? Uh, yeah. Those are both going to be Rafo. Uh, those okay. are. Fine. One is more Rafo y than the other. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to guess. Because I guess don't actually know one. the answer to one of them. No. <laughs> I, I know the answer to both of them. Okay. All right. Uh, next set. Can Steel Inquisitors read minds? And the only reason this question popped up is because as I'm rereading, there's a part where Sezed meets up with Marsh, and Marsh, you know, being ominous, says something that kind of reacts to what Sezed is thinking, and Sezed's like, it's not like Steel Inquisitors can read minds. So my thought is, can they? But I don't know. A, Rafo, and then B, I have some thoughts on this. Okay. For spoiler time? Or the end of the next book. Okay. Maybe gotcha. both. All right. Why did the Inquisitors attack Terrace? And by the way, Marsh to get to totally the other side. knew about it. No, Marsh totally, totally knew. Marsh totally knows that the Inquisitors are going to Terrace because he's ta he says, all right, the Inquisitors are out. We're going to go to the conventicle of Seren. And, and says it's like, where'd they go? And Marsh says, they went north. Says it says, toward Luthadel. And he says, among other things, Marsh totally knows they're on their way to Terrace. Okay. So why did they attack them? And why did, you know, Side 
All right. So what was Marsh looking for at the conventicle of Saran Wrap? So he goes, of course, Sazed finds the make-your-own-inquisitor kit, and he finds the the steel etching. But Marsh was also looking for something, and he went into the quarters of the Inquisitors to find it, but he came up empty. What the heck was he looking for? And also, what changed Marsh? He he first insisted that Sazed go to Luthadel, so he wasn't happy that Sazed was doing his keeper duties. He wanted Sazed to go to Luthadel, but then... When he meets up with Shazid in Luthadel, he's like, what you doing here, bro? So something definitely happened between point A and point B. All right, next question. Do the Chandra know about Voice Guy? So we, the Lord Ruler obviously uh, knew about him because, in some capacity because Quan uh, had told Rayshek, you know, not to release this guy. And we also know that Lord Ruler created the Chandra, or at least the Chandra lore is that Lord Ruler created them. So did he create them to, in some way, protect the world from Voice Guy? And do the Chandra know about him? There's so much about Chandra society that's got me curious. Okay. Does Tensoon belong to Straff or Zane? And the only reason I ask this question is because if you look at the Arsar Canum at the end of the book, there's a little glossary, and it says Tensoon. Streff ventures Chandra, but the book seems to indicate that it's actually Zane's Chandra. But it probably because there are a couple of things. One, Streff says to Zane, "Oh, how's your guy doing? Like, how's your spy?" Implying that it's Zane's Chandra. And then also, when Zane dies, Tensoon apparently returns to his homeland to be uh, to be reassigned to another contract. All right. On this one, I have discussed it in spoilers. I'm with you on on this. That was that shouldn't have happened the way it happened. Like it shouldn't be worded that right? way. Uh, the every indication we get is that the contract belonged to Straff, which means yeah. that when Zane died, nothing should have happened of contract related. Um, yeah, like I have I have problems with that, and I well, I don't have a reconciliation for them. Straff does die quickly afterward, <laughs> but, but not immediately. And yeah, not immediately, yeah. Like, like really, Tensoon should have went back to Straff. Maybe but. Straff actually gave the contract over to Zane. I don't. It's not, it doesn't seem like something he would do. But it doesn't seem like something to do. But that is the. I think that is the easiest answer to that. No. Straff no, no, you don't think that's the easy answer. I don't. Um, Tensoon has a perfectly good reason to go back to the to the Chandra homeland um, because he told Vin how to freaking mind control Chandra. He needs to report that. That's a perfectly yeah. valid reason to well, cut out on his Vin contract and go be... home. So, like, he tells Vin that he was returning to be reassigned, but I, I kind of had a sneaking suspicion that he was going to turn himself in to be executed. For you know, revealing secrets about Chandra nature. So anyway, the the ownership of the contract is an issue that I have brought up before that I think we agree on. Yay. There's just some inconsistencies that are glossed over. So okay. anyway, what's your next point? Moving on, what's with the spike in Zane's chest? It's only mentioned at one point and then he dies. And what's the <laughs> deal with airline food? <laughs> and the it's Seems similar to like a Steel Inquisitor, 
maybe they started turning him into an inquisitor but he says that he remembers it being there like since he was a kid so did they try to make him like a steel inquisitor i don't know steel inquisitor that's so good. <laughs> that's one for the quotes right there oh man that needs to be a t-shirt child you know, <laughs> when we actually start making make, t-shirts make a babby onesie with a steel inquisitor with like a picture of a spike that's extremely good space. I just need to find a merch place now. And I have oh, another yeah. shirt idea for later in this episode. Dave <laughs> knows. Dave knows. Is it the picture I drew? Absolutely. We're coming up to that. Don't worry, guys. That's got to be All a right. shirt. Man. So does Tensu know about Zane Spike, which may or may not be important depending on what the spike is. It's just he was reluctant to eat Zane. But then again, maybe he wouldn't eat Zane because he was actually Shraf's Chandra. I don't know. Or maybe he just actually hates Zane, because who doesn't hate Zane? Look, Craig, do you like Zane? Uh, I mean, as a character, sure. Uh, I think he's a well-written character. That's why I hate him so much. Right. I mean, well, that's that's the point of a good villain. I mean, I, he is a villain for uh, the majority of this book. But, yeah, that's what makes a good character, is if you if if the author successfully gets you to hate him, then he or she did did their job. I think I even mentioned that during some of the chapters. I was just like, I hate him so much. Brandon knows what he's doing. All right, next question. Who can see the mist spirit? So, Ellen isn't able to see the mist spirit at first, or at least he doesn't believe Vin when she talks about it. He later on, obviously, can see the mist spirit. Like, when the spirit shows up at the well, Ellen's like, no, no, he's cool. Um, there's also, in the logbook, Elendi is talking about the mist spirit and mentions how others can't see him. So, yeah, what, what is the criterion for seeing the mist spirit, I guess? Partially, it's paying attention because it's just, it's just a vague shape in the mist. It's super hard to see. I guess it could be. And why couldn't mist spirit kill Elendi? So, Elendi is writing something to the effect uh, that the spirit stabbed one of his servants, but he suspects that the mist spirit can't directly interact with Elendi for some reason. Uh, I don't know. But did but we're also this is also written on paper and we all know that words written on paper can't be trusted, so who knows. I did hear a thing like that. One <laughs> That reminds me of another frequently quoted thing from this book. Sometimes you gotta do secret stuff. <laughs> right. Alrighty, uh, three more questions. One, why does Vin have to remove her medals upon entering the Well of Ascension? And Good my question. Guess, my guess is possibly it's earring related and she didn't actually have to remove her metal vials. She just did because she thought that was, that was she had to do. I don't know. Okay. Oh, I actually skipped over a couple. So it tends back to Zane. So why didn't the Mist help Vin fight Zane? Because Vin tries to call upon the powers of the Mist again. And apparently you have they a don't help her. I have a theory. There is one major difference about Vin between her fight with Lord Ruler and her fight with Zane. She and had met Zane, and he's such a jerk that he ruined everything for her. He tried to. He even tried to steal her pizza, from what I recall. The pizza? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the pizza thing. That was so good. Uh, But... There is one difference in Vin's equipment during those two fights. If you will recall, during the fight with Lord Ruler, 
uh, Lord Ruler was pushing on all of the metals in her stomach and on her body, including knocking the earring off her ear. So maybe the earring somehow prevents Vin from drawing power on the mist. That's my theory. Okay, and then finally, why does Zane suck so much that he can't win even with ATM? Uh, my my biggest, I have two complaints about this book. One's kind of ma- minor, and this is my biggest problem: is that why is this whole ATM deficiency built up to be this insurmountable problem? And then we come to it. Vin finds the solution, but no, that solution's not good enough, and we get a cop out solution, a seemingly cop out solution, which probably has something to do with the transcendent powers that have influence over this world, but. It's just like she earned her victory by befriending Ten Soon. Why did they take that away from her? It felt really bad. I have a thing on this that I've gone over in spoiler chat, and I'll tell you when you're older. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wait like four years, and then you'll get to hear. Four years? Is that when That's... we're going to finish Hero of Ages? That's what Tori has told us. No. Four years is getting to the end of Oathbringer. Hero of Ages is only six is... months oh, out. In listen to the podcast now we'll probably talk about this after the end of the next uh, so the answer is brandon retconned it got it no that's not the answer <laughs> all right but my my current theory on this is that Vane that is just that zane sucks and not even atium can help him win a fight that's a really right, so- good theory that i like a lot it's right. funny that you mention it i don't think brandon has retconned very much there is a couple things that stand out that he has modified, but it's it's very rare. Hmm. Uh, a couple of things that he's actually changed in like newer versions of books since they were originally published. Yeah. And Dave's like muted. Why is Dave about muted? Sorry, I had to cough. No coughing. Uh, we lost Tori now. No Tori. No, Tori's back. Dave's all back. Right. So we're all back. Um. Penultimate question. Is voice guy really so bad? All this time, all he wants to do is get out of prison. What if he was wrongfully accused? Like, why, why is he in there? Um, yeah. I have and an answer d- for you. He didn't He didn't kill anybody. I mean, I have Miss an Spirit, answer for you. His, his enemy, Miss Spirit, stabbed a couple dudes. Uh, what's the answer? Oh, he sent them the deepness to kill people? Just Zane. Zane. That's my answer. But that was all his orchestration to get himself out of was it just randomly <laughs> walking by someone you should kill him you you, th- you think that was part of the plan right, because he needed to draw attention to vin somehow oh, by okay. not telling him to kill her yep that uh, might be it. and finally finally the most important question and i hope you can help me out with this who will look after clubs's cat i think spooks yeah, I think we decided that Sazed or Spook are the best choice here. But Clubs was a pretty good choice, too. Oh, well, not anymore. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. All right, so uh, let's move on to some world-building allomancy information here. I, I drew up a nice little chart here, and it's been updated since the one Mike posted in Discord. But, uh, you know, I just wrote down a little chart and I'm just going to review what each metal does and what I think the ferrochemical power of all the unknown metals are. So uh, we have iron and detect metals and pull and you can ferrochemically store weight. Steel pushes metals and you can store speed. Tin heightens senses. 
And with Furukami, you can store senses. And apparently, you can, they're separate. There's like touch mind, sight mind, hearing mind, and so forth, which is kind of odd, but that's fine. Proprioception mind. <laughs> uh, pewter heightens physical ability, or you can store strength if you're a Farukamist. Zinc riots emotions. And Farukami, you can store mental swiftness, breasts. Soothe emotions, you can store heat, which was something that I had actually guessed at at a prior iteration of this chart. Well, I didn't guess it for brass. I guessed it for one of the other metals, but I had actually predicted that it was going to be a ferrochemical power. Copper, obviously, you can store memories that clouds your allomancy if you're an allomancer, if you burn copper. Bronze, you can detect allomancy outside of a copper cloud, or you can, you can pierce it, I think... With Duralumin, you can pierce a copper cloud, but if you're Vin, you don't even need Duralumin to do it. And Farukami, you can store a cup of coffee so that you can keep yourself awake later. <laughs> Specifically a cup of coffee. All right. So Vin, actually back in Mistborn while she's in, in prison, categorizes all of the metals into three groups of four. So she has the... The mental metals, the physical metals, and the time-affecting or temporal metals. I don't like that. Uh, I don't like that categorization. I, I want there to be a power of two elementic metals. So now there are 16. Eight of them are what I call spatial metals, subcategorized in physical and mental. And then another eight or are the temporal metals, also categorized in physical and mental. So under your mental metals, I... <laughs> Gosh dang it, I'm probably way off here. Even in the Ars Arcanum, it categorizes it three groups of four. But it leaves out aluminum and duralumin, so that's what I don't like about it. Plus, it doesn't really give any rhyme or reason why there shouldn't be any ATM-burning mistings or gold-burning mistings. Uh, okay, so uh, first, I'm going to start with the physical metals, external. Uh, we have titanium. That's one I made up. Uh, I'm, <laughs> You know, Vin and Ellen's come across this uh, metal at the end of Well of Ascension, and Vin gives it to Elend, and apparently it turns him into a Mistborn. Uh, you know, he if, it's unclear whether he snapped and she gave him pewter, or if this metal gave him power, but in the epilogue, they say something like, now we know where the first Mistborn came from, so there's your answer to where the Mistborns came from. Came from burning titanium, or whatever this metal bead happened to be. I, I still like your, your summary of Sea spirits and send spirits to buy groceries. Whoa, you're spoiling alert. So <laughs> uh, we don't have a. About it. We haven't actually learned about this metal, thus we don't have a ferrochemical store for it. But uh, you know, and, and gosh dang it, coming up with Farukami powers is the most fun thing ever. Just what would it be like to store this, and what would it be like when you draw upon it in the future? And I wrote ferrochemical power is what you can store with titanium, which doesn't make any sense. And that's why I love it. You start storing it and then you're no longer a ferrochemist and you can't continue storing it. Wait, wait, wait. Silly. I have an older version of chart. What do you say it stores? Ferrochemical power. Okay. I'll go ahead and I'll put this in the, in the art, in the art channel. Okay. And then titanium has to have an alloy. And of course, the alloy of titanium is titanium tumatum. 
And if you're an Alamancer, you can burn Titania any Tumatum to send spirits to buy groceries for you. And if you're a Farukamist, you can fill your titaniany tumatum mind with corporeality. <laughs> so basically, as you're storing titaniany tumatum, you become Kitty Pride, and when you draw back upon it, you're just somehow you you get you get the ghost touch ability from Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition. We're like an hour in before I mentioned Dungeons and Dragons. It's awesome. Probably uh, a new record. Let's see how long it can go before you do Harry Potter now. <laughs> uh. Okay. Uh, you know, I was going to, Harry Potter was going to be in one of my bullet points before I moved over to the text summary. Okay. So next we have, uh, what I put under physical internal, I don't know. I decided to kind of guess aluminum. You can burn aluminum to destroy your metal reserves. And if you're a Farukamist, you can fill your aluminum mind with gastronomic satiety. So you eat and eat and eat and eat and eat all this food. And instead of, you know, becoming full you can fill your your metal mind instead and then draw upon it later when you don't have any food i originally read that as gastronomic safety and was immediately on board (laughs) (laughs) you're safe from poison maybe i'm safe from dairy is what i'm safe from yes okay yeah so aluminum's opposite of course is duralumin you can burn it as a mistborn to super flare your metals or if you're a Farukamist, you can store hydration. So, you know, that's pretty self-explanatory. Maybe if you tap it and you're not, like, dried out, it'll make you have to pee. I don't know. All right. Oh. So, we uh, now go on to what I put under the temporal mental metals. So, uh, we have ATM. And actually, the opposite of ATM is malatium, also known as the 11th metal. And I was wrong throughout the majority of this book because I was assuming what Vin theorized at the end of book one, I was going along with. And she had thought that this 11th metal was the opposite of gold. It turns out it's the opposite of atium. It's called malatium, and it is actually an alloy of atium, mostly atium with a little gold in it. So with atium, you can see briefly into the future. And with malatium, you can see past versions of others. We actually learn from this book not not my theory, but for realsies, ferrochemical store of atium stores youth, which we knew to be a ferrochemical power based on the ending of Mistborn, but now we know that it's paired up with atium, which I don't know if that was in the book or if it was in the appendix. And the opposite, malatium. Uh, I, the ferrochemical power that I'm theorizing that goes with is charisma. So... You know, if you're just if you're hanging out with Sazed one day, and you just start thinking to yourself, "Gosh dang it, I hate Sazed. I just he's not cool. I don't I don't know why we hang out with him. He's probably just filling his Melatium minds. I don't believe that that would ex- that would happen even if he were. I know. Can't Everybody loves Sazed. No one doesn't love Sazed. Sazed is the best. We heart hey, Sazed. Maybe he stored a bunch of Melatium minds ahead of time to make everybody like him. Oh. Already worked on us, the reader. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Finally, we have gold. And if you are an Alamancer burning gold, you can, as the Ars Arcanum puts it, see your own future, which is weird because really you see your own present and see variant forms of your present self. So it's kind of weird. Uh, but with Farukami. I mean, gold we, in general is weird. 
just just talking about it. But it's I mean, apparently storing enough uh ferrochemical hit points in gold can al- allow you to survive being beheaded. Like also so gold sees a version of yourself if you had chosen differently in the past. Right, which seems more like seeing into your own past, not seeing into your own future. Yes, that that's correct. But in the Ars Arcanum, it says, see into your own future. Weird. And it also, it like, that for gold? So the pure pulling metal of pull Atium is definitely future. So I would think that the pure pulling metal of gold would also be future. But it, it kind of has them reversed. And uh, not actually mentioned anywhere in Well of Ascension, but is in various points implied that Vin knows about it, but it doesn't actually tell us. We learn in the Ars Arcanum that the opposite of gold is Electrum. And according to the Ars Arcanum, see into your own past, but I'm I'm fixing what Mr. Ars wrote, and I'm going to call that future. So I will uh, point Mr. out that the Ars Arcanum is written by a character. Right, a character that knows IRL Brandon Sanderson and no, the an actual Lamas. character. The, how in, come Mistborn Llamas? Uh, I know it's in there as a joke. I, I'm talking about specifically the Ars Arcanum, not. Oh, is the glossary not part of the Ars Arcanum? Okay. No, yeah, just no. the Ars Arcanum. Okay, but so it's not necessarily correct. Correct. Uh, and Mike and I were having this argument last week about does Vin know about Electrum? And in fact, uh, a couple points when Vin is getting ready to burn Duralumin, it says she burns the 14th metal. 14 being eight basic, ATM, gold, and their opposites. So I, I when, think that when you just, showed I that to me, error. you actually did sway me to your argument. You're still wrong partially, and you'll understand why by the end of the next book. I assume we'll learn about Electrum next book, and I sure as heck do hope that I am correct about what the ferrochemical store is for Electrum mines, and I wrote down static charge, <laughs> and that gave me such an amazing vision of of Seized storing his Electrum mines that I drew a picture of it, and I want you guys all to see it. So there I'll have it, it up on the stream. There it is! Craig will post it on the stream, and I'll upload it to Discord. <laughs> wait, wait, I have I'm to move so him so he's actually, this. like, storing it. Eh. Eh. <laughs> oh, that's so that, good. That is Satan. This is what it needs to be on a shirt. Storing. <laughs> storing what? Uh, static charge. Yeah, static charge. And, no, you know, if you store enough of it, you basically get Sith Lightning. Which leads so, me to wonder, why, why did Lord Roller not just shoot Sith Lightning at Vin? Oh, probably because he's wearing he metal. Bunny suit. Because there's... No, you use the bunny suit to store the electrum yes, mine. He you didn't wear to... it and store his electrum mine. Like, you know, he just screwed up. <laughs> Alright. So that's the end of my my Alamancy slash Ferukami. That's staying up, by the way, for the for the episode now. All I right. hope it's staying so... up for every episode now. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I think I covered everything. Looking forward to the next book. All right. Um, any questions? Does anyone have any questions for Dave before we kick him off? All right. So hold on. Don't don't kick him off just Wait, yet. Wait, Craig. Right. Craig, we have a different Craig who hasn't really gotten to talk much. Why don't we check with him first? Well, yeah, I was just trying to think of one, and uh, I, I guess if you could pick any character 
who has survived to the end of Well of Ascension would like to see die by the end of Hero of Ages? Who's it going to be? Who would I like to see die? That's a good question. Oh, definitely not Zane again. <laughs> Can Zane come back and die? <laughs> um, I think that's a really good again. question. Uh, there isn't... I can't think of any characters that I really hate, but maybe that I think would make a good death. Uh, I I think that Seizid would have a very moving death scene, and I would be very sad if he died, which would you know probably be good for the writing. But I really don't want him to die. Um, good enough. All right, um, Tori, you have also been very quiet as you generally are. Um, do you have any questions for Dave? No, I don't. Okay, then Craig, let's let's go back to you. <laughs> I didn't really have much. I just wanted to make sure we we summarized everything correctly. So we talked about the book. Um, clearly, we're going to have a spoiler section after this, so we can talk about your theories. But I I can't really think of any. I think you touched upon everything. I like the chart. I do appreciate that, and I hope. Uh, we keep up with it as time goes on. And of course, your list of questions does have us give us something to focus on as we go through like Hero of Ages and any other Mistborn books that we might read in the future. Just to sort of touch on it and see if we get some more questions or answers. I All will right. go out on this and say the thing that I am looking most forward to in Hero of Ages is Mr. and Mrs. Venture Mistborns fighting side by side, kicking butt, and being really cute together. With the buddy cop swords. movie of the decade. Right after uh, Thor Ragnarok, because Thor and Hulk buddy cop was the best. A buster sword in each arm. All right. Bye, Dave. Bye. Have fun. Thanks for joining us, LeCraig. Oh, yeah, you bet. All right. All right. So Dave is gone. gone. We can talk spoilers now. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Um, boy, oh boy. Yeah. Someone wow, he got a lot of hearing. stuff really, really close. He Holy did, crap. and... I think it's more because he was reviewing for his summary that he... Hold on, the bunny's over the spoiler text. There we go. Um, Because he did a reread, like, Brandon did a really good job at hinting towards things. And once you see Ruin, who is voice guy, release, you're like... You, you start seeing these, these hints and things that are peppered throughout, but usually it's involving her earring. But she doesn't know what that means or why it is yet. And he's very quickly in here of age is going to get an answer to that he's going to understand what a spike is why zane is spiked and what that means and then hopefully he can connect the dots and realize the thing the earring is actually a spike and that's why her sister was killed was to create a spike and that's also why she can pierce copper clouds so many answers and it's all right there oh and he's the, super close the thing of uh can inquisitors read minds um, I have a thing for this. And I don't actually understand where that's coming from, but go go on. It was like an offhanded thing from Sazed while he and Marsh were exploring. Anyway, um, the the the, the idea I have that here. They can read minds. No, I don't think they can. I'm in fact I'm certain they can't. However, 
They have ten. Marsh was paying attention. He's also got um, emotional allomancy. The combination of like those three things, you can functionally read minds. Sure, you can pick up on on clues and hints. What exactly did Marsh do? I think I'm a little confused about this whole mind reading thing. He just like remarked on something that Sazed happened to have been thinking about at the time. Like it wasn't okay. a big thing. Just can he read my mind? Ooh, yeah. Um, something interesting about that is that um, Dave was sort of talking about the differences between the Miss Spirit and and uh, Voice Guy, as he puts it, and how Miss Spirit can actually physically interact with the world sometimes. Um, it's a good point to mention that Ruin and Preservation, they also basically interact with the world in different ways. Ruin speaks to people in their mind, especially when they're spiked. Or, or they just happen to be insane. He can speak to them, but he cannot read. Like specifically, Vin notices he cannot read minds. He can only speak to minds. Whereas preservation totally can read minds, but he can't really speak. He has to uh, speak into someone's mind. He actually has to physically say something, um, in his misspirit form or whatever, or whatever. So there, there are these differences between them. And talking about uh, the Inquisitors being able to mind read, like it's, it would seem weird if they could, because Ruin cannot. And why would his tools be able to? All right, um, Craig Hanks, you're yes. you're a guest here. We really haven't gotten you much yet. Sorry about that. That's all right. What is your favorite like plot line in this book that has approximately three hundred plot lines? <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm a weird one. This book gets a lot of grief. You know, people say it has pacing issues and everything. And I get that. I'm not here to say that those people are wrong. But to is they'll say, you know, the the action or the intrigue or whatever it is, it, it all gets interrupted every once in a while by all this political stuff in the middle of the book. And that's my favorite stuff. Okay. Love it. It, it, This is uh, because it's sort of a commentary. And I said this, gosh, years ago on our own podcast, but um, Terry on revolution and revolutionaries and things that uh, emphasize the idea of overthrowing the man and getting rid of the system. And so you have a million and one stories out there that are just like book one. Uh, my favorite comparison is return of the Jedi Luke, you know, well, Luke and Vader, whatever for all intents and purposes, Luke kills the emperor and the, the rebels destroy the shield generator and the death star gets blown up and every, and the empire crumbles and the day is saved. And that's the end of the movie, that trilogy, right? Well, this book, I love how in that storyline, it kind of gets into the nitty gritty of answering the question of, yeah, okay, so what? What happens now? And the answer is, well, that evil thing that you hated so much was providing a ton of stability at the very least. And now you've caused chaos and chaos brings death and confusion and all that stuff. And so how do you manage that? And so the, the, uh, politics around Ellen's and you know his trying to be king out of that and, and it's not something that you get very often and because it's so different and because I love political theory and political history and all that stuff that's maybe my favorite plot line in the entire book I feel like Brandon covers 
a similar like similar ground in the Reckoners trilogy too. In oh Reckoners, yeah, 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 exactly. But you know, it it if I can kind of go on with this a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, please. You we we've done nothing with you so far, and yeah, go. Oh no, it's fine, it's fine. I but I I'm on a roll now, so uh, you know I'm like <laughs> uh, I'm like Pluto in Animal House. You just don't stop him; he's on a roll. Um, with with Elland, uh, his whole journey with Tindwell and all this uh, reminds me a lot of the Legend of Zelda, and you'll have to hang with me on this one because uh, you guys familiar with the lore of the Legend of Zelda? Absolutely. Very, yes. Okay, very good. Nice. All right. I, I'm speaking to a bunch of nerds now. You're my people. I, I'm a so. speedrunner for a length of the past, so I know Zelda. I have a Triforce oh, yeah. tattoo, so. I'm sorry. I'm just going to take a quick break before I go on with my point to tell you that I am 5% through with my Dark World map cross stitch that's going to hang next to my Ooh. Light World. That's really uh, cool. It's. Uh, I need it's a picture. Out. I need a picture. I need a picture. <laughs> easy easy um what was i gonna say oh yeah okay so in legend of zelda you got the the triforce and it, uh the triforce has the three parts and they're wisdom courage and power and it's always set up in zelda to be like oh well ganon likes the power part and so that can't be the good stuff you know, it's all about uh, wisdom and courage, but in reality, the Triforce, in order for it to be whole, it, it requires all three. And that's something, it's a lesson that Ellen has to be taught by Tindwell, that it's like, you can have all the wisdom you want and all the courage you want to implement your preferred idealistic policies, but unless you have power to, it doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean a dang thing. And so... It, if that makes sense, right? And so he has to he has to marry his idealism with pragmatism. Um, that is, it, it's difficult and it's troubling, and you know you don't you don't like to think about things in those terms. But ultimately, um, I love it. All right. Uh, next thing is we're gonna go into Hero of Ages next, which is a lot of people's favorite book that Brandon has ever written potentially cutting out Stormlight because holy crap a lot of people love Stormlight um what then are you most looking forward to uh in Hero of Ages that that like Dave gets to experience for the first time the end it's got to be the end right well, Dude, sure it's, so it's it is the best ending to a book that i think has ever been written maybe it's uh, well the nice thing about it is that it's the ending to the whole trilogy and Brandon does a great job of laying down breadcrumbs and answering enough questions that at the end of book one, you feel satisfied. And at the end of book two, you feel satisfied. But in both cases, he leaves you with a ton of stuff to look forward to. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have talked about it with, with book one or anything else, but uh, the, the Sanderlanch, the Sanderson Avalanche. Yeah, we, we actually started calling it the Sander Tsunami. Sanderson, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, so the Sander tsunami comes, and it's it's at like the very bitter end of Hero of Ages. The whole book is this really slow build up. The tide is going out, so to speak, and you know it's doing it slowly. And then it's, it's only the last what fifty pages, maybe, that everything kind of crashes down on you, and it's the most intense experience. I love it. 
I mean, it's probably the best example of the the Sander tsunami of any of his books. I, I mean, he, he does a lot in um like Elantris as well, where it just all comes together at the end. And he's gotten better when he gets to like Stormlight Archives. It's been smoothed out over a few chapters now because, you know, fans are aware of the Sanderson avalanche and it's still super exciting. But yeah, it's um probably the the best example of one of his books that has it. Yeah, if, if I remember correctly from the Legendarium's Hero of Ages uh, episodes, you had everybody just, like, stop and read the last 50 pages together in your house right before recording. That's exactly right. Yeah, Todd and Ken were newcomers. And so, uh, yeah, we made them come an hour before we started recording, bring your books, and read the last 50 pages with me and Ryan in the room. Oh, what? All that kind of stuff. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, all right. We've discussed can, can this before. Can I answer that, too? What's that? Can, it's like, can I give an answer as well? I all guess. I don't really care what you think, though. God. No, we could talk. Well, yeah, I, I want to hear you guys what, what you uh, are looking forward. Um, I actually want to see Dave's reaction to the uh, Tensoon chapters. Because he actually asked a lot of questions about, like... Um, Condra society and like what it means and how were they made to uh, fight against voice guy which is he's so on point there holy crap but you don't find that out till near the end anyway but uh yeah like I want him to like read it because we actually learn quite a bit about Condra society so that's going to be fun just rereading it and seeing his experience there definitely some of my chapters of the book I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how he does um discovering hemallergy right like just figuring out what the spikes mean and i I really want to see if he makes that connection to the earring i think he will it's gotta all right yeah we we have discussed this before i'm about 80 percent now that since he thinks ellen is going to be the hero of ages um do you think he'll pin sazed being the hero of ages based on that first epigraph and it being, like, very blatantly the way Sazed speaks. I don't think he's going to get it at the very first. I mean, as we talked about it, he does talk about Ellen eventually in the epigraph, so eventually he's going to figure out that's not Ellen, but I think he's going to stick with Ellen, because, you know, maybe Ellen picked up some of Sazed's mannerisms. It's it's plausible. He hasn't really commented on the epigraphs before, though, so he might just sort of skim it. I think he knows no, better than to skim them. He's been paying he attention. Was, yeah, he was paying attention to the ones in the first book. Okay. I don't think he's going to figure out right away, but... Right, I don't think he'll figure it out right away, but he is he's hes reading much more closely than I ever did, so... At least he isn't listening to the audiobook. Oh, because it's, it's obvious in there? Yeah, the, the narrator does it, it like in Sazed's voice. It's it's so blatantly obvious. And you're like, oh, it says it, of course. I did not know that. That is awful. Yeah, I've gone blank. I don't have anything. Well, okay, so I was, think I was had there something else but it's we gone. wanted to discuss related to Dave's summary? Since we are talking about the summary, but anything that stands out for you guys? He said quite a lot of things in his theory. Uh is voice guy so bad? <laughs> <laughs> It's ruined, yes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up a second. <laughs> I'm going to push back on that just a little bit. 
ruin is ruin bad? I mean, no, bad. and then he ruin himself makes that argument. He's he's bad for humanity because humanity would like to survive, please. But uh, but he is he's a force of nature. He's not, uh, you know, it's the same way that you could say violence is not, you know, violence as a concept is amoral. This is not. It, it all depends on what you do with it, right? So ruin as a concept is neither good nor bad tethered from any you know any morality then yes he does appear bad awful destructive obviously uh but when sazed eventually gets a hold of that power and you kind of have that coming together of ruin and preservation with the wisdom of sazed uh then it's not bad it's not a bad thing so, is Ruin really that bad? Well, I guess that depends on how you look at it. Well, so Ruin, like, the concept of Ruin is really change. Like, that's what it is. We have change versus preservation, which represents unchangingness. And, 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 and thinking about preservation and what actually he wants, like, if this was a shard world just for, for preservation, that's also equally scary as to what Ruin plans to do with the world. Like, it would be no one doing any, like, you would just exist, but you couldn't do anything, because you would be perfectly preserved. It would be like a world of statues. Unchanging. Well, that's, creepy. Well, that's it's sort of creepy. Of, uh, all of Tolkien's works, right, is uh, the, the elves are all afraid of change, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's that you can look at. But then also, actually, if we fast forward to Mistborn Era 2, uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll spoil that as well for anybody listening, but... Um, hey, we, we got all spoilers. Go for it. In that one, there's this whole discussion where Sazed, uh, uh, or whatever, Harmony, he calls himself at that point, realizes that I have this people too well. I've given them too cushy a uh, situation, and without enough ruin in their lives, uh, they have stagnated and they haven't really accomplished much of anything in the last 300 years or whatever it is at that point. Uh, so, you know, ruin is not only not only not bad, but is absolutely necessary. It is. And just like change in general. So, so when uh, I should say that when Dave mentioned his voice guy so bad, I, I jokingly say, yes, of course, he's bad. I think Sanderson did a great job. Like, it's not really good versus evil. Like, preservation isn't necessarily good, and ruin isn't necessarily evil. But at the same time, he is currently trying to destroy the world and humanity and, and all the living creatures on there. So right now, for our heroes, he's absolutely bad. Um, so Well, and, and if we step back and we look at it from the, the big picture situation... Um, Ruin and preservation were basically gods. Like, they were gods. Uh, so if, if we just take humanity out of the equation for a minute, if it's if we just have these two these two gods, they're bros. Like, they're, they, they go off to create their planet together. So, you know, we're, we're going to create this, and, and you're going to let me destroy it, and you're going to... Like, they had an agreement... And preservation went back on their agreement. He's a dick. Yeah. Like imprisoned him and 
totally broke the deal. And so, yeah, Ruin is, is angry and justifiably so because preservation went back on his word. Uh, I, I would also like to point out that preservation is remarkably similar to a Discworld villain, the Auditors. And just sort right, of like and that, that doesn't play into goals. my opinion at all. No, like I, I wasn't thinking of them. No, totally. <laughs> and um, yeah, um, preservation not good. Maybe maybe less bad overall for for like the people we're following than ruin, but not good. Okay, uh, I did want to bring up something that LeCraig mentioned, just with the shards actually being like forces of nature. And this is something we'll have to consider once we get the Stormlight Archives and talking about Odium. Odium? Odium? Odium. Odium. Um, he describes him, like, so we classify him as, like, hatred, although that's not the word that's used. But when he talks about himself, he considers himself passion. But it sort of goes along the same thing. Like, he doesn't view himself as evil. Yes, he's actively trying to... Uh, splinter these shards so that way he can be the only one because he's certainly not picking them up and he doesn't want to taint his, his his intent by by taking up these shards but what he represents also is that force of nature that he's passion or at least that's what he describes himself as i could make the argument that he's full of crap and we shouldn't believe anything he says absolutely absolutely but we don't have final confirmation on that because we're still seven books away from the end of Stormlight. Yeah, but he'll be done by book five. Ah, uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think I think we'll have, like, an ending at the end of book five, but I don't think we're going to finish Odium at the end of book five. I'm planting my flag in it. Yeah, I might have to agree with the other crack. All right, um, somebody have a topic. Or are we winding down? Because we've been recording for a while. Yeah, there, there was a we're lot going of on an hour and a half. This was a summary episode, but yeah, is uh, like I said, I don't think there's anything else Dave mentioned that we really need to discuss. But we start Hero of Ages next week, and right away, I think I think within the first three chapters they talk about Electrum. So right away, we can at least discuss the misconception that Dave has. Yeah, it's within that first like chapter block that we're gonna that we're gonna get to is when Electrum happens. So then I can go neener, 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 I told you so. <laughs> exactly. Which, um, Craig Hanks, I don't know if you, like, scrolled up and read any of that, but, like, Dave and I had this gigantic argument about Electrum. He was so <laughs> mad at me. I did not see that. Oh, he was so mad at me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's easy, though. I mean, I, I, I get it. I've met me. Um, all right, so then... What do we have coming, f or what are, what are we looking for in Hero of Ages? Uh, we definitely want to keep an eye on what Kelsier is doing, which is going to be hard to track, because... He like, wanders he, off to the Eyrie. Yeah, like, he, he wanders away, and we don't have, like, a good connection point for him anymore, for, like, a pretty good chunk of that. Um, we want to track, I guess, Preservation's deterioration. We and want he to does eventually die. We want to track... What, what what else do we want to pay attention to? Like, what's Ruin doing when, like, when he's not on screen? Ruin does a lot. He he's actually spends very little of his consciousness, like, effort to the characters because he's busy 
destroying, making ash mounts like blow up and all this other stuff around the world. Uh, and we should totally say hi to Melon because we're going to see her in book three, and that's going to be yes. Cool. She's like uh, a protege of Tensoon. And I think that's those are like the big points of of spoilery stuff in book three that we want to look forward to. Cool. All right, I think that's it for the for the for the episode. Um, thank you, Craig Hanks from the Legendarium Podcast, for joining us. Very welcome. Happy to be yeah, here. Thanks. If if you ever want to do this again, just you know, let me know. Let me know like what section of the book you want to talk about, and I'll get you in, man. I, I ought to send Ryan. He's uh, he knows a million more things about the Cosmere than I do. I mean, if you want to pass the message around, I'd be happy to have. Everybody, especially Ken. Ken and I, I feel, share a soul. A soul of punching. <laughs> he'll uh, he'll be excited to hear that, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I think that's, think that's it for the week. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye, Internet. Good night, Internet. Bye. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast, or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.